morning, everybody. It's good to see you. And, uh, I'm going to let you see my eyes to know that they're real. I'm not a robot. But then I'm going to put these down because I can't see. Uh, it's good to see you guys. Uh, it's good to be out here, um, Rob and uh, Frank and the rest of the team. Thanks so much for leading us in worship. And uh, yeah, absolutely. So grab your Bibles and turn to 2 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 3. We are going to, uh, I'm going to step outside of the Hebrews series just to join with the rest of uh, those who have been preaching through the, the book of 2 Timothy. And uh, it's uh, the intentionality of preaching through 2 Timothy is this, that we live in a time that is confronting the truth of the gospel. It's infringing on the truth of who Christ is and what Christ has accomplished. And the challenge specifically, I think, and we're going to learn about this today in this passage, the challenge I think we are going to have to battle throughout the coming uh, months and even the years is, is the authority of God's word. And the Lord has impressed upon me, no doubt has uh, impressed upon you, at some point or another, the, the culture is pressing in on truth. The culture is challenging what is true. The culture is challenging where does truth come from. And uh, as God's kids, we know that truth is held within, within the words of Scripture. And all Scripture is God-breathed. We're going to get there today. All Scripture is God-breathed. It comes from Him. Um, but know, know this, that as we're challenged... Um, by the, the culture that is confronting us, we are going to have to know and understand where that truth is found. Be able to talk about it with clarity. To be able to talk about it with, uh, with an understanding of where in Scripture the, the, the Word of God tells us where the Word, where the truth comes from. I want us to grow in that. And uh, let's begin today. Let's begin today as we look at 2 Timothy chapter 3. Let's begin growing in the understanding and the holding firm once again, maybe, of the authority of God's Word. Why don't you stand as we read God's Word together? Second Timothy, chapter 3. But understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving, good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Avoid such people. For among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women. Burdened with, led astray by various passions. 
always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Janus and Jambers opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth, men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Verse 10. You, however, you, however, have followed my conduct, my aim in life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions and sufferings that happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra, which persecutions I endured, yet from them all the Lord rescued me. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. While evil people and impostors go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it, and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. God bless your word to our hearts that we understand it. Lord, we trust you most this morning. We turn to you and ask you by your spirit that you would illumine our thinking to the word of God, that you would wake us up to help us to understand it. We know that it's not just a matter of education and learning words and their definitions, but we know that spiritual growth and spiritual things are understood by the Spirit of God within us. So we ask you, Father, teach us this morning. Use this vessel and use your word to grow us into the image of your Son. And God, if it would take a cut, if it would take a bruising of my heart to wake me up, that that you would see fit to convict me of some sin, that I would be able to turn to you and run to you and find comfort in the gospel of Jesus Christ once again. Would you do it today? And if there's any among us who sit here and they don't understand the gospel of Jesus Christ, may it be a sweet invitation to them. May the gospel be seen, may the gospel be heard, and may you draw people unto yourself. In Christ's name, that all God's kids said, Amen. Amen. Have a seat. So that's quite a task. All of chapter three in three hours. Um, last week, uh, Chris he, uh, he joked that uh, he had about an hour and a half of uh, hour and a half of notes, and he narrowed it down. He did a phenomenal job, did he not? So thankful for people teaching God's word at Libra Chapel. Chris is one of the faithful men I trust with the word. There are four sections to this text. And by God's grace, we're going to get through all four sections. But they have an organization that would help us understand. The first section is verse 2 through 5. It's the character of a false teacher. Remember, this letter is written to Timothy so that he would understand that he is facing and going to face difficult days. And these difficult days include difficult people. 
People who are confronting those who are true believers and maybe those who are weak and don't believe yet, they're being confronted with false teaching. And Paul wants to encourage Timothy to, to remain. And one of the ways he does that is he talks about the characteristics or the character of false teachers. The second section in this text is verse 6 through 9. It talks about the strategy of these false teachers. The strategy of these false teachers. Every false teacher has an objective. They may not have it written out before you so that you can either sign up for it or not sign up for it, but, but know this, every false teacher has an objective. And if they are not following the command of the Lord Jesus Christ, they are following the command of Satan, their father. Every false teacher has a strategy, and we ought to be wise to it. The third section in this text is verses 10 through 13. It goes then on to talk, about, goes on to, talk to Timothy about the character of a disciple of Jesus Christ. He wants to, he wants to tell, tell Timothy, Timothy, this is what it looks like. This is, this is who you are as a man of God. This is who you are, church, as a follower of Jesus Christ. Continue in these things. And then finally, finally, in verses 14 through 17, disciples of Jesus Christ also have a strategy. There's a strategy of walking as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And Paul is very clear that our strategy is understanding the authority of God's word being soaked in, believing in, trusting in, teaching, enduring in, in, in defending the authority of God's word. That's where we're headed. These four sections of chapter 3 of 2 Timothy. He begins with, I understand this, that in these last days, these last days are going to be very difficult. How many of us know there are difficult days that we have to walk through? It seems like you don't have to convince us today uh, quite as much as we did maybe a year and a half ago that we are going to face difficult days. We watch things on, on YouTube. We watch things on the newscast, and we watch things on our Facebook feed, and it's disturbing, is it not? We have difficult days. He talks about the last days. These days are, are specifically the days between the ascension of Jesus Christ after he went to the cross and rose from the dead. These last days start there and they end when he comes, comes back again. He talks about these last days. He's not talking about Paul's last days. He is in the, the end of his days. He knows that he is going to be, going to be martyred. He is going to die at the hand of those who oppose the cross of Christ. He's not talking about Timothy's final days, though he is going to be facing persecution. That's what this is all about. He's talking about the last days. You and I, we also are in these very same last days. Treacherous days they are. The word difficulty is better translated much more aggressively. They're treacherous days. They, they're days of aggression against the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the aggression that we experience against the gospel of Jesus Christ, I think, I think has been happening all along. 
you and I, I think what's taking place, we're waking up to what has been there all along. The aggression against the gospel is going to increase, as we're going to see in this text. But don't be without hope. <laughs> don't be without hope. Christ is going to build his church, amen? Christ is going to build his church. He's not done. He hasn't abandoned us. He didn't abandon Timothy and the church at Ephesus. Christ is going to build his church. The specific context of these treacherous days begins with the people he is doing ministry with. It says in verse 2, for people, these people will be will be all of these characteristics. He lists quickly 18 characteristics of both men and women. The word men inside of this context is the word anthropos. And that means any human being. False teachers can come in the form of a man or a woman. It's not just men who are standing in pulpits who are preaching the prosperity gospel when they ought to be preaching the sufferings of Christ. Men and women were bought into the lies of the enemy. There are 18 characteristics he gives us. I'm only going to highlight just a few of them. These false teachers are they're lovers of self. We live in an age where narcissism is just common. I'm not talking about the, the diagnosis of a narcissistic personality disorder. I'm just talking about those who are lovers of self. Lovers of self is a common trait amongst teachers today. There's a pride. There's, a, there's an arrogance. There's a, there's a come follow meanness to their teaching. It's a it's a disposition says that, that says that God exists for our satisfaction. God exists for my pleasure. That God is going to even heal me or, take, uh, or, or change my financial situation for my pleasure. Does God heal? Does God change financial circumstances? Absolutely. Does God do miracles? Absolutely. But he does them for his glory. True? He does them for his glory. We praise God when we see it. We'd be lovers of money. I've already mentioned it a few times. The prosperity gospel has thousands upon thousands of people in its grip. If I do the right things, if I say the right things, if I, if I rub the genie's lamp the right way, I will receive the blessings of God. Brothers and sisters, we preach Christ and Him crucified. We preach Christ and Him crucified. And what we're going to learn in this passage is if we are those who walk with Christ, Him crucified, if we believe in Him, we trust Him, and we live as if we believe and we trust Him, guess what's coming? Persecution. Suffering. How will we know the depths of the riches of the love of Christ unless we walk like our Savior himself? We don't walk in the footsteps of kings with riches thinking that that's where transformation comes from. We walk in the footsteps of a Savior who went to a cross, who suffered and died on our behalf. 
How can you expect anything less of us? Lovers of money, so shallow. We live in an age where false teachers are disobedient to parents. People are disobedient to their parents. I don't want to pick on you young people, but I want to tell you this. I want to tell you this. We live in an age where that represents something. We live in an age where, where authority is so easily questioned. And those who God has given you as your authority in your life, he's given you for your protection and for your care. He's given them to you for your blessing. Obey your parents in the Lord is what the scriptures say. But false teachers, they, they teach an independence from authority. I think what he's getting at here is not just picking on families, though it happens within the confines of families. You get many, many young people who are walking in the same direction. You, you end up with this, this rebellion towards authority. And if you can rebel against the people who gave you life, how easy is it to rebel against the boss? How easy it is to rebel against the teaching of God's word? Unappeasable. People who are unforgiving. There's no mercy in them. They love pleasure rather than being lovers of money. Lovers of God, I'm sorry love pleasures rather than being lovers of God. God is our means to our end, is where this teaching goes. The application here is simple. He, he finishes this list of 18 with probably the most potent of all of the descriptions. He says these false teachers have an appearance of godliness, but they deny power of God itself. They have an appearance of piety and they have an appearance of, of putting on the clothes of Christianity. They have the appearance of putting on some sense of spirituality. But they deny the very power of God. They might even speak about a God who has a greater power, but the God that they speak of actually has no power. They don't speak of a, of a personal God who, who is glorious, who is gloriously perfect before all creation. They don't speak of a God who, who looks at sin and, and has to judge sin. They don't speak of a God who, who promised from the garden that I will send the Savior. They don't speak of a God who, who, pro, who that promise was, was kept and he went to a cross, and he died on behalf of sinners. They don't speak of a need for salvation because they don't speak of sin. Appearance of godliness, appearance of spirituality, but they deny the, the genuine power of God, which we know the power of God is where? It's in the gospel of Jesus Christ. The application then is simple. The application, when we see character like this in a false teacher, the, the application is simple. 
avoid such people. Disconnect yourself from such people. It doesn't mean we don't walk in the world, but not of the world, but we do not place ourselves under their authority and their teaching. We call it out for what it is, and we turn our back on it and say, I will have nothing to do with this false teaching. You are not preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ. Do I love you? Yeah. I love you the way Christ loves you. But I cannot place myself under your teaching. Avoid such people. We need to know the fight. We need to know that this world that we are in is, is not a safety zone. The world that we are in actually has people who have infiltrated and want to teach you things about the gospel and teach you things about God that, it, that are not in the scriptures. This is a time of warfare. This, isn't not, this is not a time of safety. My job and I take it seriously. My job is to prepare you for these days, these last days, these days that are treacherous, is to tell you the truth. Be aware, be discerning, brothers and sisters. This is the character that he talks about briefly in, in verses two through five, and then he moves on. He talks about their strategy, verses 6 through 9. For among them, there are those who creep into households. The strategy, verse 6, false teaching will creep into households, preying on vulnerable women. I don't think Paul is, is, uh, is sidelining here with Timothy and criticizing women. I don't think that's his heartbeat at all. I think Paul has a, has a great honor for godly women. Consider how he talks back in chapter 1 and verse 5 about, about Timothy's mother and grandmother who discipled Timothy from a young age. He loves the discipleship and godly women. The false teachers will in, were infiltrating the church through weak women. They tickled their ears. They tickled the ears of vulnerable people. False teachers who claim to be Ministers of the gospel, under political pressures, they 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 uh, they turn towards towards uh, towards weak women, and they they uh, they teach them the that that uh, that abortion is okay. I don't know if you've watched the news. There's a man who claims to be a preacher and a teacher and a godly man, and he says that his conclusion in the scriptures is that. Oh, abortion is okay. And a man like that approaches weak and vulnerable women and teaches that kind of falsehood. False teachers who claim to be pastors. When their child comes out as gay, they change their theology. They say, that's not what I, what I was teaching all along. That's not what I really believe. So I'm going to change teams here, and this is now what I believe. Look at them and say, turn to the truth. Turn to the truth. And I'll make you a little mad, to be honest. 
Verses 6 and 7 says that these false teachers, they had targets. They, they had targets. They had people that they were looking for. They were looking for weak-minded or foolish. Sometimes it's translated silly. They were looking for weak-minded women. They're not spiritually discerning. They were easy targets of a mind not grounded in the truth. There was a lack of transformation in their mind. And if I could broaden the application a bit, please allow me to broaden the application a bit. I don't think Paul would say it's only women that have a weak mind. I think there's, there are people, there are men and women who are not grounded in the truth. And false teachers target and they draw away those disciples after themselves. They look for a guilty conscience. That's the second second thing in, the, in this text. They look for a guilty conscience. People who are dabbling in sin or have been walking in sin. And the condemnation that's on their shoulders, they can't get rid of themselves and they don't understand how the gospel works. So these false, false teachers come in and they, they give them an easy button. Listen, if you, if you just do this Bible study, if you just join my church, if you just put this much money in the offering plate, if you just to get together with this group of people and listen to what they have to say, instead of turning them towards the sweet, sweet truth of the gospel, God has forgiven. God has paid a price for sin. The way you offload the condemnation is you repent. You say, I'm sorry, Lord, for my sin. That's, that's not what I want the end of my days to be. Forgive me. They look for people with a lack of purpose. The scriptures talk about various impulses. Look at your, look at your text. Follow along. It talks about various impulses. People who don't have a purposefulness to their life. They're not headed in the direction. They haven't sought the Lord and said, Lord, where do you want me to be? Where do you want me to work? Where do you want me to go to school? What group of friends do you want me to spend time with? There's a purpose, purposelessness to their life. And false teachers see them and they will give you a purpose. They will give you a direction. The last thing he says that they're pursuing knowledge with no real conviction about God's word. Always learning, but never really understanding. No genuine conviction about God's word. This is a picture of a, of a weak-minded person. But we don't say it in a sense of, if you look at these, this description, and, and you think to yourself, wow, there's, there's some of that in my life. There's some of that that is actually true of me. 
listen, I don't, I don't, I don't speak in these terms and talk about these things in a way of singling you out and segregating you and saying there are some people who are weak and they all sit on that side and some people are strong and, and stable and they sit on this side. No. Listen to God's word. God's word would, would, would teach you. God's word will grow you. God's word will shape your mind and your heart that you would not be weak-minded, that you could be stable in your ways. In the end, he says, false teachers don't win. False teachers, truth and, truth and time do go hand in hand, and the, the false teachers are going to be found out. Just like these two men in the text, these are, this is a reference to the two magicians of Pharaoh. These two magicians of Pharaoh were overcome by God, and they were found out for who they really are. And God made himself known, and he had glory over those two men. And he is going to have glory over the false teachers of our day as well. So I turn us back to the encouragement from the very beginning. Listen, God is building his church. We don't have to walk around in, in, in a sense of, 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 of fear like somebody is going to come into my home. But we need to be aware. We do need to be aware. We know the end of the story, do we not? We know, we know that God is going to make himself known. And every knee will bow. And every tongue will confess. Even these false teachers, they will bow their knee one day. Not of their own heart's desire. But because God will make himself known. And they will be found to be without faith. It would be found to be without trust in the living God. He transitions here in the middle of this chapter, verses 10 through 13. He transitions towards his focus on false teachers, and he says, he, it's as if he turns to Timothy and, and grabs him by the shoulders, but you, my son, but you, you're different. I want something better for you. I want something wondrous for you. I want something stable for you. And as stable as you are, Timothy, the reason why I want to invest in you is because your church needs you. Your church needs what it is that I'm pouring into you. That's how discipleship works. You're different. You're not like the false teachers. Continue to live in light of what? Of, of an apostolic standard. I know you, we don't use that word very often, but Paul is, a, is an apostle, and he lays out a standard of what discipleship looks like, of what a true disciple looks like. And he says, he says with, 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 a, with a firmness and a love for Timothy and a humility before his God, he says, listen, follow me. Continue to walk like I walk with God. Now I know that sounds arrogant to us. How could you possibly say, follow me? Paul said it. It is an intimidating thing to stand up here <coughs> in front of you and say, follow me. Follow me as I follow Christ. There is no greater accountability and to say, watch my life. Help me. Walk with me. 
in humility, I am not Jesus. I am not a savior. But follow me as I follow Christ. He lays out some, some standards here, this apostolic standard. He says, follow my teaching. Follow the apostolic teaching. Follow, follow those men who walked with Jesus and, and wrote down their experience, wrote down what, what God told them to write down. Follow the apostles' teaching from the very beginning of the church. That was the focus of the church. They weren't just willy-nilly making up rules for the church to, to live by or, or to, to, uh, to, to, to make themselves happy. There were men that God appointed. They were the apostles. And they had walked with Jesus. They had seen him. Paul was the only one that was, uh, quote-unquote, unnaturally born. Later on, he was, he was made an apostle, but he, too, had walked with Jesus in a supernatural way. Praise God that he did, because we have so much of how it is that we walk in the scriptures from Paul. We follow his teaching. But I love that teaching and conduct are laid right side by side with one another. Don't only follow my teaching, but follow my conduct. Watch me how I live. Watch how I walk with others. Watch how I walk with my family. Watch how I walk with my children and my wife. Watch how I walk at work. Watch how I walk in the community. He says, follow my sense of purpose. Follow my sense of direction, my sense of mission. The mission from Jesus Christ is clear, friends. Go therefore, right? and make disciples of all nations. The mission of Jesus Christ is clear. He didn't say, go therefore and build a big church and have great music. Make sure the lights are good and the subwoofers really work well. What did he say? Those things are evil. He said, go and make disciples. What is your mission? Evaluate today. Evaluate right in this moment. Are you, are you focused on the aim that Jesus has set before us as his church? Follow my faith. Follow my faith. Do I trust God most? Do I love God most? Follow my faith. Follow my patience. Specifically patience with with people who are difficult. Patience is easy when life is going great, is it not? Patience is easy when, when work is easy, but when it's hard, and when things are moving against you and the relationship is complicated, patience is complicated. Follow my patience, he says. And again, back to back with patience, he puts love. Follow my love, my love for God and my love for others. Follow my endurance. Be steadfast, Timothy. Follow my endurance. Don't be one who gives up easily. Don't face a conflict with, with a friend or a coworker. Don't face a conflict with a spouse or a sibling and give up too quickly. Don't face a conflict in your life group and give up quickly. 
Don't face a conflict in the church and give up quickly. Endure. Be steadfast. Now these last two are complicated, are they not? The last two is follow me in my persecution and my suffering. Persecution is that physical and mental afflictions that are experienced when the when the world is against God's soldiers. When there are arrows being tossed at us as God's kids, it inflicts pain, and those are the sufferings that come right after persecution. We're going to experience both, he says. In verse 12, it says, All who love God and walk like it are going to what? Are going to be persecuted. Can I say that again? Let it sink in. All who love God and walk like it, you, if you love God and you walk like it, that has to be in there. If you love God and you become really smart about God, that's not what it says. If you love God and you go to all the churchy things, that's not what it says. If you love God and you join a church, that's not what it says. It says, if you love God and you live like it, out in the world, with your family, at work, with your extended family, in your community, if you love God and walk like it, you will experience persecution. I think some of the reason why we don't experience persecution is because we have so many options to avoid it. We don't like pain. Everybody who likes pain, raise your hand. We don't like pain. We don't like struggle. We don't like combating something that's not easy. We have so many options to avoid it. And he says, all who love God and live like it will be persecuted. Two questions here. Who wants to walk away? Who wants to get up and go? When you hear that scripture, when you hear Paul, when you hear the Spirit of God speak through the scriptures, and it says, if you love me, and if you live like it out loud, you're going to experience suffering and persecution. Who wants to get up and leave right now? Doesn't it feel like it a bit in your gut? If I'm honest, if I'm really, really honest, I don't like that conclusion to the story. I don't like the idea of suffering for the cause of Christ. I don't like the idea of, of being inflicted by the world. And it says the scripture in the scriptures here, it says those evil men, while you're being persecuted, while we're being persecuted, those evil men that are doing the persecution, they're going to get even worse. That's what the scripture says. While that's happening, Evil men are going to go from bad to worse. <laughs> if I'm honest, 
I feel like I want to get up and go. In my flesh, I want to run. But in Christ, in Christ, by faith, I long to walk as my Savior walked. I long to speak the truth and feel the sufferings of Christ in my bones. I long to see the transformation of a broken, broken community or a person who doesn't know Christ and I want to speak the truth to them. And even if it causes a suffering or persecution to me, they get life. They get life. Verse 13, if you, if you don't believe me, it's verse 13, it says, while it's, while it's happening, evil men are going to get even worse. <laughs> he goes on. He goes on from this, the characteristics of a, of a disciple, and then he, he says there's a strategy for you and I. There's a strategy for you and I, and it is quite simple, yet it is profound. It is the it is the foundation of who we are as Christians. It is so foundational to who we are and what we believe as Christians, and we forget it too quickly. He says, but as for you, Timothy, continue in what you were taught. What you were taught from your grandmother and your mother, Lois and Eunice. What you were taught from from me, Paul, your mentor, your teacher, what you were taught from me. Don't, don't continue in the things that you've been taught. You were taught the scriptures, the, the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the law, the prophets, the writings. Remember, the, the New Testament hadn't been written yet. So when he talks about Timothy, what you've been taught, what the, the gospel that you know to be true, you learned it in the Old Testament. How many of us that's a little bit convicted? You don't understand my Old Testament very well. You were taught the gospel from your youth. Hold on to this, Timothy. Here's why. Here's why. Timothy, the, the final word is the word of God. The final word in, in life and in, in, in godliness is the word of God. Why? The book. The book is where we find salvation. The book, your scriptures, everybody got a copy of your word, whether it's your phone or your tablet or your Bible, hold it up. Hold up your, your copy of the scriptures. What he's telling Timothy, it's as if he holds up the scrolls, shows them to Timothy and says, listen, Timothy, listen, live by this. Live by this book. Live by this book because this is where salvation is found, Timothy. Don't, don't just live by this book because your mom and your grandmother and I told you what the truth was. Live by this book. Why? Because it's God-breathed. It's God-breathed. Now, the, the doctrinal truth here, we're talking about the doctrine of inspiration when we talk about God-breathed. Not inspiration as if you, you hear a good song and then you have a good feeling inside. That's not the doctrine of inspiration. God breathed is, is, is the words theos neustos. 
And it literally means God breathed or God breathing. That is the scripture as God breathed is the product of God's creative breathing. He breathes out and what came out is the scriptures. The finished product of scripture breathed out. It's, it's more expired than it is inspired. The, now listen to me here. Expired as if as a breath. Let me take a big breath in and blow it out. That's what I mean by expired. God breathed out the word of God. God breathed out the word of God. And, and the clarification in that is this. Many people in a false teaching would be that writers wrote down something that they thought was a really good idea and then God breathed into their idea and gave it life. It was inspired. But that's not the doctrine of inspiration. That's not what the scripture is teaching. The word of God came from God. It originates with God, not with man. It is divine. B.B. Warfield says this about this word, God breathed. Listen. He says, the Greek term has nothing to say of inspiring or inspiration. The word as I used it before, as if it makes me feel good, and then, it, then I can say it's inspiring or it's inspired. It speaks only of aspiring or aspiration. Listen, like in Genesis 2-7, the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils, what? The breath of life. God breathed out life. And there was life in the man and the woman. What it says of scripture is not that it is breathed into by God or that it is the product of the divine inbreathing into its human authors as if it existed and God blessed it by breathing life into it, but that it is breathed out by God. It is God breathed, the product of the creative breath of God. In a word, what is declared by this fundamental passage is simply that the scriptures are a divine product. Your Bible, the very words that you read, they are breathed out. They are a divine product of God himself. This is a fundamental belief of Orthodox Christianity. This is a foundational belief for us, brothers and sisters. Your word, the very word of God, is, is divine in its origin to you, to me, to actually listen to what God has to say about himself and about this creation and about me. It doesn't mean that men weren't used in the process. That's a whole other part of the doctrine of inspiration. Second Peter 1 verses 20 and 21 says that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. No prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Men spoke. They did. From God. 
they were carried along. That doesn't mean they were, they were helped out like the little old lady across the street. It means that they were carried just like a baby in the arms of God. They had no part. They were carried along by the Holy Spirit. Again, your word of God that you're holding has divine origin. And this word that you're holding, it is profitable. It's profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training and righteousness. It's, it's pr- profitable for, for knowing what you are to believe and what you are to not believe. It is profitable to know what you are not to do and what you are to do. It is completely capable of equipping you for the work of ministry. I know I've, I went to school some, I don't know, 25, feels like 50 years ago. I know that God provided that education for me. But really, the only education, the benefit of that education is to the extent that it taught me God's word. That I got to focus for four years just reading and studying from mentors like Paul to Timothy about God's word. But there's no magic in it. I sat with a brother across the table who who was wanting to know a bit about teaching God's word this week. And and the, the first thing I would like to tell you about studying and teaching God's word is we need to demystify it a bit. There's no magic in my title. There's no magic in my degree. You can open God's word. You can be taught how to study God's word. And you, young adult, you can be teaching young people. You, older person in the Lord, you can be teaching young married people. You, senior citizen, you can be teaching one another. You can be teaching every one of us about God's word. This is the work of discipleship. And it's all rooted in the authority of God-breathed scripture. So here's a couple challenges. Rob and this team are going to come up here and play another song. Why don't you guys get ready? Here's a couple of challenges for us. Here's a couple of challenges for me. Knowing that there is this attack on the authority of Scripture, knowing that, that we need to be reminded of this over and over and over again, of where the gospel comes from and, and, and where truth comes from. We need to talk about this often. If there's anything I talk to the elders about, like, is there any kind of a theme that you want to emphasize this year? Is there any kind of a, is there something that just keeps coming back to you that we need as a body to hear about over and over again? There are a few things that popped up, but this is the one that is strongest in my heart. I can't let it go away. I can't, I can't make it go away. Is that we need to be a people who understand the authority of God's word. We need to be a people who are willing to put, place ourselves under the authority of God's word. Yes, the teaching of God's word, but also in our conduct. And all of those things that that are exemplified from Paul to Timothy in in what a real disciple looks like. And the foundation of that is that I am willing to submit myself to the authority of Scripture. 
I'm willing to learn about where that authority comes from and how that scripture is formed. And, and I, want to, I want to know more about, about God breathed. If you're saying that a bit as you hear, as you hear this sermon as I'm talking, you're, you're tracking with me. You're tracking with the church. We're not going to talk about it every time we get together, but you're going to hear about it a lot. Because I think you need to know so that you might be able to confront the difficult days. And the last thing is this. Men and women, students and children, seniors, I'm, I'm utterly grateful for the volunteers that we have. For men and women who are pastoring one another and pastoring small groups of people in the church. The, the importance of discipleship and growing in God's word. I can't stress it enough. If you can't have a simple conversation today, this is not meant to be shaming at all. If you can't have a simple conversation about the authority of scripture with somebody who's a little younger than you or with a friend, then I, I hope by this time next year, you would be able to have a rich conversation that you would actually experience some of the stability that comes when I actually know that God's word is divinely God's words that we would be a stable willing and able to walk through the suffering and persecution that's coming our way not because we're great people but because we love God most and trust him Let's sing one more time, and then we'll be finished for the day.